Well, I have two desires this morning and two things I want to accomplish. The first one is to seek to reveal the truth of Scripture and then challenge you to be obedient to it. It really is just a stirring and not a changing if we just see the truth of Scripture and then we don't do anything about it. The second is to share with you what I see, kind of my dream, if I had my way, what I would anticipate would be the outcome of our obedience, of what it would look like if we read Scripture, saw the truth, and then obeyed it. And uh, hopefully that'll be a challenge. So the, my main point this morning is to challenge you to love the world because of grace. Now grace, defined simply, is God's unmerited favor. We can't do anything to earn grace. By its very definition, it is unearnable. It is given to us out of God's great love. And he gives us his unmerited favor. And it is out of that receiving of his unmerited favor that we then serve and that we obey. We don't obey and serve and do things and live a life a certain way in order to gain grace. But because he has given us his grace, we live differently. And we live lives of obedience and the desire to follow the word of God. So that's the first point. Live because of grace. Live because of grace. Here's how that comes out in our obedience. Look at Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. And we're going to do it a little differently this morning. We're going to look at a lot of passages and highlight a few things rather than pick one passage and, and pull it apart. Verse 1 of chapter 8 in Romans, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. Verse 2 says, The Spirit of life has set you free. Then it tells us, what God has done to give us that life. And then in verse 5, it says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. There is a difference in the person who says, I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to be led by the Spirit, I will think differently and live differently because I'm in the Spirit, not according to what the old nature, the flesh, tells me to do. It says there's no condemnation. No condemnation. What is that? Well, simply put, let me just put it this way. It's, it's those accusations that come into our life that we believe to be true. They're those things, those lies that we believe must be true. But they're really lies and they control and they guide our life. But it says the spirit of life has set you free. See, we don't have to be under that condemnation, we don't have to live in those lies and in those accusations. So, what lie are you believing? Now, here's the crazy part. If, we are if you're believing a lie, you probably do not even know that you are believing a lie. Because most of us would never purposely do that, would we? If I came up to you and said, what lies are you believing? And you said, this one, this one, this one. That, you would be unusual. I have the following lies that I live my life by. Most of us wouldn't say that, would we? It takes the spirit within us to show us what those lies are. It takes understanding scripture and seeking to hear truth. And then let me use a Henry Goulet word, inculcate it into our life. Some of you are still trying to figure out what that word means. But that's what it takes. It takes that, that truth gripping hold of our life so that they are inseparable. There's no condemnation. What are some of the lies we believe? Well, I thought of a few just based upon the topic we're, we're studying today. You know, there's that lie that I have to keep control. 
I have to be in control. Really, that's built on another lie, which is I can't trust God. I, I, I can't trust God with, with my life. I, I'm, and see what it does? It starts to take hold of us. That, that lie that we can't trust God and that we have to keep control because we know our life and I can't really see him and I don't, I don't know if he's really working and I don't trust this, therefore I'm going to hold on to this. And then that filters into our ability to live because of grace. You see, then we start saying things like this, well, the church finances are somebody else's responsibility. Missions and reaching the world, giving toward missions, going on a mission trip, all this stuff we've talked about so far this morning, that's up to somebody else. That's somebody else's issue. Where's that come from? Well, I can't trust God, got to keep control, therefore the things I don't want to do or don't feel like I can do start to take over. I can't afford to live with others in mind. I have my own problems. I am a mission field in and of myself. (laughs) See how those lies just take us over? They are accusations that the enemy makes and then there is condemnation and we get stuck living in a world that we've created in our heads that's full of lies. And we can't live because of grace. Philippians 2, verses 4 through 8, very interesting passage. It says this, it starts out this way in verse 4. Let each of you look not on his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now that does not mean stick your long bony nose into other people's business. That's not what it means. It means... Don't look at what you've got going on, all the stuff that's going on in your life. I got these problems and these issues, and here's these financial issues I got, and these here's all my stuff. It's saying, no, don't look only at that. Now, it's not saying ignore those things. It says, look not only to his own interests, but the interests of others. What's going on in somebody else's life? What are the needs of others? See, if we're to live because of grace, we're going to live differently. We're going to be looking at the needs of others. Verse 5 says, have this mind. Have this mind. What mind is that? Well, the next few verses tell us about Jesus, who gave up all his rights, everything he had, the fact that he was God and he came. And verse 7 says he emptied himself. And verse 8 says he humbled himself. See, how do we live a life because of grace? We empty ourselves of us and we humble ourselves in order to see the needs of those around us and those around the world, of others. Have this mind. What would this look like? What would this look like? Consider what would happen if each of us lived this out in our daily lives. If we lived out being servants of each other, and more importantly, that we lived out being servants of God because of his grace. What if we humbly followed Jesus' example to empty, be empty of ourselves, of our selfish thinking, of our desire to go it on our own, or worse, to do our own thing while all the while asking God to bless our efforts rather than trusting his effort? What could happen? If we lived because of grace, well, here's what I think. I think we could address the issues of a building needed in Makono that would include clean sanitary restrooms rather than open pits where flies and disease are breeding. Think of it. As Farida said we could, in the video, we could have real impact on real people. 
because we're living in real grace. You see, that's what it means to live a life of grace, that we empty ourselves of us. Guess what? It's not about me. That we humble ourselves. We look onto the needs and the interests and the desperation of others, and we have the mind of Jesus who gave up everything. So we live because of grace. Second, we give because of grace. 2 Corinthians 8. We'll start in verse 1 and highlight a few things. The grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. He wants us to know about this, okay? He's going to tell us about this grace that is happening in these churches. Verse 2, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Does anybody see a problem with this sentence? In a severe test of affliction, so they're not doing that great either. Something's going on. Persecution, poverty, lots of different issues are going on in, the, in these churches. In this church specifically, he's talking about in Macedonia, their abundance of joy, notice it doesn't say happiness, it says joy, doesn't depend on the circumstances, and it's an abundance of joy, but look at this, and their extreme poverty got them down and depend, you know, they just wondered what everybody could do for them. No, have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Verse 3, it says, they gave beyond their means. To what? Verse 4, to the relief of the saints. Something was going on in another church, and this church, in its poverty, in its need, said, we got to give. We have to give to this need. This is the relief of the saints. This is our brothers and sisters. We refuse to ignore this. We refuse to look not just on our stuff. We're going to look at their stuff and their issues and their struggles. The end of verse 6 says, complete among you this act of grace. It's an act of grace. Giving is an act of grace. The end of verse 7, see that you excel in this act of grace. Complete it and excel in it. Continuing. In verse 8 through 15, we see him say, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. Verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know grace. You understand the grace I've just talked about. The grace that the people of this Macedonian church were living in, where they were giving out of their poverty, giving out of their own need. You understand this. It comes from Jesus. Verse 11 Finish doing it as well. Do this as well. And then in verse 14, comparatively, he says, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need. Guess what? We help others. There's going to be a time when they'll help us. The best thing about our partnerships is that they are mutual partnerships. We have some resources that they don't have. They have resources that we do not have. For instance, our entire prayer partner ministry here at New Life is based upon what we saw happening in Costa Rica. We developed a ministry because we felt God was saying, this has to be at New Life too. Some of the folks from Costa Rica are going to be here this next week. They're sending six people here. So we're excited. This is going back and forth and back 
and forth. Your abundance at the present time supplies their needs, so their abundance may supply your need. The essence, the essence of Christian stewardship is sacrifice. It is the essence of Christian stewardship, whether it be of talent or treasure. New covenant giving includes personal pain. Giving to a level where there is pain. There's an interesting story in in Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44. It's the story of people giving in the temple. The story goes that there's uh, the rich people uh, are putting in larger sums. Well, duh. Okay. But they like to get some uh, recognition for it. And the way that they gave wasn't in nice, quiet bags like we do, where you can't hear anything fall into it. No, they created contraptions almost, uh, we'll call them uh, Christian offering pinball machines, okay? They had bells and whistles, and you would put your coinage in, and they would go down through a series of, you know, these things like you see on vacation, you know, you go in and your kids want a quarter to do this, and you realize all that quarter's going to do is end up in somebody's pocket because all it's doing is going through these things and dinging bells and you watch it go through. That's exactly what this was. So the bigger coins and the more coins you had, the more noise they made. So you'd put your offering in. The bells and whistles would go off. But it says, verse 42, a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which make a penny. See, she put her offering in and it didn't go bing, 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 bing. It went, bink. Look what verse 44 says. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. See, it's about equal sacrifice. Christian stewardship is about sacrifice until there's pain. Now, I don't know about you, but I have never signed over an entire paycheck to the church. That's what she did. Said she gave everything she had, all she had to live on. What's that about? I think that's called faith. She thought, I'm just going to give God what I have, and he'll meet my need. She gave out of her poverty she gave everything but what do we do oh there's a take five honey look in your look in your purse let me look at my wallet let's see if i got something in there that you know i don't want to give oh nope too big a bill don't give that one let's give that yeah that one's okay put that one in what do we do we look at our checkbook and we think okay what can i give so that i'll i'll try you see we get that control thing what can i give so that i've still got enough pay stuff or meet my needs or control this situation we think how little can I give rather than how much can I give and what's the standard according to Mark 12 everything everything Acts 4.33 says and with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord and great grace was upon them all the disciples gave what they had because grace was upon them it was obvious. It was obvi- this would have been obvious in the early church. 
that being under grace did not mean that the New Testament Christians would give less than their Old Testament brethren. On the contrary, it meant that they would give more. Being under grace does not mean living by lower standards than the law. How do we know that? Well, Christ systematically addressed such issues as murder and adultery and taking of oaths, made it clear that his standards were much higher than those of the Pharisees. He never lowered the bar. He always raised it. Jesus always raised the bar of generosity and sacrifice and giving. But he also empowers us by his grace to go higher than the law demanded. You see, what we do is we, uh, we look at grace a little incorrectly and we think, you know, we've taught from this, from this pulpit. We live in grace, not the law. Well, guess what happens? Oh, good. Whew. Don't have to worry about that 10% anymore. Because that's the law. I'm under grace. Let's go for four. Let's go for less than that. That's the law. What would Jesus say? I think he would say, no, that's the law. I've come to show you what, how you actually go past the law. I've, co I've come to fulfill the law. See, grace tells me, no, go beyond the requirement. And Jesus makes it pretty clear. What, 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 do, you do, now? what do we do now because of grace? You give everything. See, it's, a, it's not just 10% or 4% or whatever is God's. It's all his. He just loans it to us. So how do I look at the needs of the world if this is what's going on in my head? To what extent is my giving to the church a reflection of my belief that the gospel must go out in every possible way to every possible place on earth? Does it reflect that belief? Let's take the gospel to the world. How little can I give? Why care, about, you know, why care about the financing of the gospel over there if I don't really care about the financing of the gospel here? Why should I care for my neighbor on the other side of the globe or in another hemisphere when I don't, really, I don't even know my neighbor's name? Why would I serve alongside the people in a church in France or Costa Rica or in Africa when I don't serve in my church here? They are connected, right? But we misunderstand grace. Grace fully embodied. Gospel-empowered grace gives. It sacrifices. It hurts. Well, think about it. What would it look like? What if we really gave out of real grace? That out of our level of abundance or our need, we gave because of grace. Letting our trust and our faith and our, our dependence be fully upon Jesus. What could happen? Well, our partners in Costa Rica who are trying, as Cindy said, everything they can to obtain a new place to meet because of their growth, because of the fact that the rental agreement that they're in on their church building will be over in just over 12 months. They're coming up with fundraisers in their community. They're selling food. They're doing odd jobs. They're sending out letters and emails to those of us who have traveled and ministered in Costa Rica. What would happen? We're their partners, right? What would happen if New Life's budget was so overflowing that we just, we just gave in grace? We could say, here's what we can do. How much, how much do you need to finish this off? Now, I'm not talking about just without care, giving money to things, without thinking it through. But I am saying, what if that was our resource? 
Here's what we can do. We can give you what's still needed. Case closed. We're your partners. We're your brothers and sisters in Christ. We are in this together. Think about this. What if our partners in France, let me tell you something they won't tell you necessarily. Dan and Beth don't need to be here. Here's why they're home. The sole reason that they are home right now isn't to come and talk for five minutes up here today. It's because their funding is down and there are bills that can't be paid, so they're back home trying to raise funds. What? Better get off my high horse here. Okay. What about our partners in Costa Rica? David and Angie just got married, taking over a church. Some funding is being lost because the American missionaries are going home. They wouldn't be scraping by to see if their budget can handle expenses if we could just say, let us cover that. Let us make sure you're taken care of. You know what I'd love to do to both these couples? I'd love to call them tomorrow and go, you know what? I don't know what's going on, but people in New Life are giving to such an extent. Just relax. Go on back, get on a plane. We'll pay for you to get on a plane to France and keep doing ministry. David and Angie, just go. Just minister. Work in the church. Here's what's going to come in every month so that you're fine. See, it means that we need to give based upon what? God's amazing grace. And then finally, not only do we live because of the gospel and because of grace, not only do we give because of grace, we go because of grace. Matthew 28, commonly called the Great Commission. Two phrases I want to draw your attention to. In verse 19, go therefore and make disciples. Go and make disciples. Verse 20, and behold, I am with you. I'm with you. Here's the challenge. Go and make disciples, and I'm with you the whole way. What more do we need? A task and a promise. But here's what I often hear. And if you've been around me long enough, I will have asked you to go to Costa Rica. Let me pray about going. Here's my question back. Why? How about we do this? How about we just go till God says stop? See, God will say stop and then he'll come for us, right? You want to see the returning of Jesus? You, wanna, you, you hope it's tomorrow? Then go. Let's get those last ones. I don't know where they are, so let's keep trying. Jesus said go, and he said, I will go with you. No fear, no excuses, no anxiety, just obedience. Let's go. What about our attitude as we go, though? That's important. Once again, it must be about grace, not looking down on those in need, but remembering our own sin and our own need for repentance, understanding what Christ has done in our life. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11 if I see this quoted one more time on Facebook incorrectly this week, I'm going to choke. So it lists all this stuff, all these sins that are deception and are pulling people away from God. But verse 11 says this, such were some of you. In other words, get off your high horse. Stop thinking you're better than everybody else. Let's go take the gospel. Let's take, the, let's take Jesus to these poor, pitiful sinners. Well, guess what? I'm one too. Such were some of you, but, I love it when 
there's a big but right in the middle of a passage. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Grace is a wake-up call. It carries a dramatic message, and here it is. You are not okay. You never will be. You need something outside of yourself. See, it's not all about us again. We go with the attitude that what we take, the person that we take, to the nations, to our next-door neighbor, is the answer for their life. That they need grace desperately. What would it look like if so many of us were going to France and to Costa Rica and Uganda, or, or dare I say, even our neighborhoods, where you couldn't, you have to be on a waiting list to use the LoveWorks trailer to take it to your neighborhood, or to reach out to our neighbors through the women's summer studies or backyard kids club. Here's a pitiful statistic that I haven't mentioned, but for some reason God wants somebody in this room to hear it. You know how many backyard kids clubs we have this summer? Four. Four. I'll leave it at that. Or there are nearly two dozen regular opportunities. They're right here through New Life every month. You saw them in the lobby a couple weeks ago. What could we accomplish if we would just obediently go because of grace, we just go. We go to our neighbors. We take that trailer out. We start impacting our community. We want to really take back Gehenna? Let's take them Jesus. We want to see a state where God is honored? Well, let's start honoring God ourselves and taking the gospel across this state. We want to see a, a culture and a nation Living righteously? Well, let's us start living righteously and let's take the gospel. We want to see a world changed? Do we want to see countries changed? Then let's start taking the gospel. Let's go. See, what would happen if we would obediently go because of grace? There wouldn't be room to hold the results. Full buildings in Gehenna and in Whitehall and in Uganda and in Costa Rica and in France. We would see Muslims coming to Jesus. We would see Latinos starting to understand more and more what a real relationship with Jesus, is look like, Jesus looks like. And let me tell you this, we would see Uganda, which is very open to the gospel. Frida in an earlier celebration said that the kids are allowed to preach the gospel in the public schools. We would see it changed forever because of the gospel. But all too often... Our theology of grace is robust in our hearts and minds, but it never finds a way to our hands and our lives. Tim Keller, a pastor and scholar, said this. He reminds us of the cosmic hope of the gospel. He said, redemption is much more than simply saving souls. It will ultimately entail the complete healing of creation, including social justice, reunification of all humanity, the end of physical decay and death. Won't that be a glorious day? But even now, it means bringing the health and coherence of Christ's lordship back into every aspect of human life. The Christian church is to be a new society in which the world can see exhibited what family, business practices, race relations, and all of life can be under the kingship of Jesus Christ. How about this? How about we join hands and we love the world because of grace?
Let's pray. Father, that's our prayer. That we would be a people, both as a church and as individuals, who love the world because of the grace that you have shown us. May we not be people who hold it to ourselves. But each day, in every possible way, may we be spreading the gospel. Why else are we here, Lord? Help us to obey. In a moment, we're going to sing, and I'd ask this. We've been doing this the last few weeks. Our prayer partners are going to be here, ready to pray with you over any need you may have or concern. And, but we've done this the last couple of weeks, and I want to open up the altars here again this week that many of us would come and kneel here and ask for these two things. God, make us a people of grace. And as we go into the world, may New Life's efforts in the world impact the kingdom. So I hope many of you will come and seek God as we stand together and worship.